he comments about the first letter writing, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. The heart of the pastor, the heart of Paul. He longed for the Corinthian believers to shine in their faith. But he didn't know how they had received that first letter. And so he, he writes this second letter to really share his heart with them. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 24. If you were with us last week or listened on the radio or watched through Facebook Live, you know that at this point in the message, I looked down at my tablet and I realized that I forgot to put my sermon in there. And so I preached off memory without my notes, but I had the uh, bullet points, the outline that I give our sanctuary. But I had written an introduction that I want to, and I said I would do this. I want to go through this introduction because I believe it's important for us to get a better understanding of both 1st and 2nd Corinthians to realize what Paul had gone through prior to even making his way to Corinth to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would take place on his second missionary journey where he and Silas began that second missionary journey by strengthening the churches that were founded with Paul and Barnabas during the first missionary journey. It was there at Derby and Lystra that they picked up a new ministry partner. His name was Timothy, who, according to Acts 16.2, was well spoken of by the brethren. Things seemed to be going well for their team until they attempted to go into Asia. And Luke tells us that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Then they tried to go to Bethania, and the Spirit would not allow them to go. So after hitting wall after wall, while they were in Troas, the Bible tells us in Acts 16.9 that a vision appeared to Paul by night of a man from Macedonia who was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was a different region. Paul had not intended to go that direction. So finally, their course was set. 
and they set sail for Macedonia. There in the providence of Macedonia, though the gospel was received by some, they faced great opposition by others. There in the city of Philippi, though Lydia and her household believed, were baptized, they were saved. After Paul cast out a demon out of a slave girl, he and Silas were arrested, they were beaten, they were chained in the most secure place in the prison there in Philippi. And then while Paul and Silas sang and prayed at midnight to the Lord. I don't know how it would be for you if you found yourself beaten and cast into a prison, chained in that prison. I don't know if you'd be uh, singing praises to the Lord at midnight or perhaps you'd be singing the blues. But while they prayed and sing praises, there was a great earthquake that shook the prison open. The jailer, when he realized that the prison doors were open, thinking that everyone had escaped, he was ready to kill himself because he knew that with prisoners under their system, we think about our system of government today, under their system, if the prisoners would have escaped, then that jailer, his life would have been on the line. He would have rather killed himself than to face judgment. But when Paul and Silas called out and said, we're all here, he came in, he bowed before them. Uh, he received Christ, he and his household. He took Paul and Silas, washed their wounds, fed them. And in the following day, Paul and Silas proved their Roman citizenship. They received an apology from the local government. They encouraged the newly formed church and they departed for another city. They came to Thessalonica and they preached the gospel and some of the Jews there believed in Jesus along with a great multitude of Greeks. Things seemed to be going very well until a great uproar happened in the city. At this time, the household of Jason was attacked and he along with some of the other brethren were dragged before the court system there, the magistrates. Jason was accused of harboring the men, Acts 17, 6 and 7 tells us, the men who helped turn the world upside down, saying that they had come to our city and proclaiming that there is another king, Jesus. Well, we know that the apostles of the first century, they were not turning the world upside down. They were actually turning the world right side up by having people focus upon Jesus well, after posting bail and the brethren of this new formed church sent Paul and his missionary team to Berea. And once again in Berea, the people were very receptive to the word of God. The Bible tells us, and this is a great uh, verse in scripture, Acts 17, 11, something that we ourselves should do as well. Acts 17, 11 tells us that the people of Berea received the word with all readiness and they searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. They heard the preacher preach, and then they looked into the word of God to see if the preacher was rightly dividing the word of truth. Nevertheless, after another conflict arose, Paul was sent to Athens while Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea to strengthen the church for a while. While in Athens, Paul saw a city that was completely given over to idols. 
it would be perhaps like us going into Las Vegas. Well, Paul, he reasoned with the Jews there in their synagogues and with the Greeks in the marketplaces. Anywhere he could preach the word of God, he began to speak until he was given opportunity to speak in the city's leading amphitheater, the Areopagus. In this message, Paul gave two wonderful points. First, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Acts 17, 22 and 23. And second, when telling of God who created the whole world, both the heavens and the earth, he said, he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell upon the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings. From one blood, Acts 17, 26, God has made all the nations of the earth. Nevertheless, Paul's Athenian amphitheater crusade, well, it ended with only a few who believed. So after numerous conflicts, persecutions, apparent failures, they came to Corinth. At the beginning of their work, it looked like things were going to go as they had done in every other city that they had come to at this point. It looked like they were going to have to escape to another city when the Jews opposed and blasphemed the gospel that they preached. Then things started to slowly change. It was after the Jews had rejected the gospel that Paul took his message to the Gentiles. He began teaching the gospel in the house of a Gentile named Justice. Now this house happened to be right next door to the synagogue there in Corinth. And soon afterwards, the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, we met him back in the epistle of 1 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians today. But Crispus became a believer. He and his whole household, they were saved and baptized. And it was at this point that Acts 18, 9 through 11, the Lord spoke to Paul at night in a vision saying, do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there for a year and six months among them, teaching the word of God to them. So after spending so much time in Corinth, the Corinthian believers held a special place in Paul's heart. Paul had learned of the disunity in their fellowship that led him to write his first letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians that we've already went through so far here in 2020. This epistle, the epistle of 1 Corinthians, dealt with several issues that needed to be corrected. But had they received Paul's correction or had they rejected his letter to them? Paul's concern is seen in his second letter, where in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he comments about the first letter writing out of much affliction and anguish of heart. I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. The heart of the pastor, the heart of Paul. 
He longed for the Corinthian believers to shine in their faith. But he didn't know how they had received that first letter. And so he he writes this second letter to really share his heart with them. And here we find today, as he talks in the second half of chapter one, in a message that I entitled, just taking it from the scripture, in him is yes. The Bible said in him was yes, but we're going to make it present tense. In him is yes. Second Corinthians one verses 12 through 24. We're going to see in verses 12 through 14, our boast in verses 15 through 22. Yes and amen. And by faith we stand, verses 23 through 24. I want to go ahead and read our first point, verses 12 through 14, entitled Our Boast, and I'll open us in a, a brief prayer as we get into the teaching of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 says, Our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing anything other than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word. Help us, Lord, to gain a greater understanding of your word, not just to know a better understanding of what took place historically, but, Lord, that we can apply the things that Paul was attempting to teach the fellowship of Corinth that we can apply these things in the church of the 21st century. We asked in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our boast, Paul opened his letter by referencing last week. We looked at this, the great sufferings and the tribulation that he and his ministry team had gone through, which actually worked out for the consolation and the salvation of the Corinthian believers They had went through much sufferings, much tribulation, but when all was said and done, many of the Corinthians came to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul said, this actually worked out for your consolation, for your salvation. He also wrote of the great trouble and despair from which the Lord had delivered them. He talked about the threefold deliverance of our Lord that He has delivered us, that he is delivering us, and he shall deliver us. I I love that. We looked at that last week. But I truly love the fact that we're able to, in our own lives, look back at the work that Jesus has done in the past in our lives to help us to be encouraged with the work that he is currently doing in our lives today to help us trust in the work that he will do in the future. So after these two acknowledgments, Paul described their boast. He said in verse 12, speaking of the simplicity and the godly sincerity that they presented the testimony, the gospel to them. He said, our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience 
that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. I want you to notice that he did not say that we conducted ourselves in your presence or in Corinth. He said in the world. This tells us that this was Paul's custom. No matter where he ended up at, whether he is in Troas or in Athens or in Corinth, no matter where he found himself, he strived to conduct himself in this way, in simplicity and in godly sincerity. They're boasting. It speaks about the cause of which we might boast or give glory. They're boasting, he said. It came from a pure conscience as they conducted themselves in this simplicity, a Greek word that basically means that they didn't have any ulterior motive or no double motive. They came in simplicity and purity. They were, they were not trying to uh, do a bait and switch on the people there. They came in sincerity. And this is a Greek word that simply means, it's a compound Greek word that refers to the light of the sun. It means to be tested by the sun. It speaks about having this absolute purity. And Paul's ministry team had come to Corinth with a singleness of heart, having no ulterior motive. They also had come in godly sincerity, which was pure and honest. They did not come with the wisdom of men, but by the grace of God, which shone abundantly upon their lives and through them to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul would write, For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. They understood that God watched over them in all that they did. We speak in the sight of God, in Christ, he will later say, as God is my witness, he understood that God was watching over them. He understood the importance of delivering the message of God in simplicity and in truth with this godly sincerity, because God was watching over them. Paul's boast, Paul's cause for glory came with a clear conscience. It wasn't just how he presented himself in Corinth, but he said in all the world, this is how we conduct ourselves wherever we go. Knowing that they had declared the gospel with a singleness of mind in godly sincerity. Moreover, they had not come in the wisdom of this world, but by the grace of God, by which the Corinthians were saved and believed. The Corinthian believers had received, it was by the grace of God that they received this gift of salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. So their boast in verses 13 and 14, for we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to this end, in verse 14, as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's team, they came to Corinth with a singular motive of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he and Timothy had wrote with the simplicity and the godly sincerity. Remember that Paul at the beginning of this epistle he said, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, along with Timothy, our brethren, 
So as they wrote, they wrote with simplicity and this godly sincerity. Basically, he said, what we wrote is what we meant. And what we meant is actually what we wrote. It's kind of unlike lawyers or politicians who will often craft an argument or a bill in such a way that the yes actually means no and the no actually means yes. <laughs> We're kind of wondering what do you actually mean? There's a, actually a bill that we have in Illinois right now that is being worded in such a way that it would make it look like a vote of yes would mean a positive thing for the people. But when these bills are presented to us, I often ask the question, should I actually say yes on this bill or should I actually be answering no? It can be very deceptive. I will not forget the last political cycle that we had here in our region. There was a vote on the school board. The advertisement, the little signs that you saw all over said, vote yes for this new referendum for the schools, new schools and everything. Vote yes, no new taxes. And they voted yes and they passed it. What they did not tell you was that a vote of yes meant that this 20-year-old referendum that was supposed to come to an end, the 20 years was up, and we were actually supposed to get money back now. It actually meant that that just extended the referendum. I don't know if it's another 20 years or indefinitely, but all they did was take what was supposed to come to an end and continued it on. It's kind of like the toll system that my parents used to talk about that they say in 20 years this whole thing will be paid for and we won't have to pay tolls anymore. We're not only still paying tolls on the toll system in Illinois that they have doubled them and then doubled them again. Second Corinthians 4 2 says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We're doing this in the sight of God. And sadly, not everyone who trusted their simplicity and their godly sincerity. For Paul in his first epistle, we find there in Corinth, there were some believers who came under the preaching of Paul. But they also, well, they believed under the preaching of Apollos, or maybe it was Peter, or maybe it was through the work of the Spirit of Christ. They were dividing over preachers instead of uniting under Christ. And yet Paul looked to the coming day of the Lord when all believers will stand before the bevency judgment of Christ. And Paul said, on that day, we are your boast. On that day, you will also be our boast. And may Christ and those he have redeemed be our boast in this present world. Because we realize, according to the word of God, they will be our boast in the coming day of the Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you would be with us. We don't know who is currently listening. Lord, because of being on the radio or through Facebook Live or maybe hearing this message some later date. We don't know, Lord who's hearing these words today or at a later time. 
For we trust, Lord, that you are at work. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with those whose hearts even now are being pricked toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, maybe you have challenged them. Maybe you have challenged them to let their yes be yes and their no, no. And they have understood, Lord, that they have been deceptive. And Lord, they need to live in this simplicity, in this godly sincerity that we learned about today. Maybe today, Lord, it's a Christian just committing their heart to walk in all your ways afresh once again. Perhaps, Lord, it's someone who's never asked for you to be the savior of their life. And now today, Lord, they choose to do so. I pray that you would be with them as they confess their sins to you and ask, Lord, that you would come into their hearts. Save them, Lord. Save mightily today, we pray. And be with us now, Lord, as we close in worship. Lord, I ask that you would just be with this a final song of worship. Help us to reflect upon your great grace. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.